We're going to be in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. And can I invite you to stand, if you're willing and able, to read along with me this morning. We will have the words up on the screen behind me here, but please join. In verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in the flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on the day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you remain standing and, and pray with me, please? Lord God, we do come for you, to you this morning. We humbly ask God for your presence to be with us now. We ask that you draw us near to you and the grace that you sustain us with, the grace, the free blood-bought grace that has made us alive in Christ. Father, point us to that grace. Remind us of the goodness, the unmerited favor you have shown to your people. Father, may your word encourage us, may it enrich us, and Father, I pray for the Holy Spirit to illuminate the truth that it is for us this morning. We pray that your name is glorified in everything that we say and do now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So just as Pastor Josh said earlier, it is a unique situation this morning that we are celebrating the Lord's Day on the very last day of 2017. Here we are, day 365. Tomorrow will be day one. We'll start it all over again in 2018. We'll enter into the the familiar rhythms of birthdays celebrated, anniversaries celebrated. We'll also enter into new eras of FSU football. Willie Taggart. It's good. Believe me. But the thing is, too, is that we are starting anew. We, we, have, we have a new uh, year before us. It's a good time for us to have reflection on what God has done. And we heard that earlier from Pastor Josh. And praise God for the work that he continues to do in the life of this church. So it's good to reflect on these things. 
And I'm sure if you're like me, you're also maybe reflecting upon what things can you, what things can I look forward into the new year as far as maybe resolutions? What are things that we can resolve ourselves to do and to achieve better and to become a better person maybe? It's not uncommon to do so. Um, I looked online and, of course, you know, just looked up different resolutions that people make and came across some funny ones. Um, One of my favorite was my New Year's resolution is to stop lying to myself about making lifestyle changes. (laughs) I I like that one. I like that one. And this one's even better. Um, Stop hanging out with people who ask me about my resolutions. That's even better. I mean, no accountability, right? Just move forward. But there's also celebrities. Mr. Mark Zuckerberg, the father of the selfie, Facebook itself. Um, Each year he seeks to communicate things that he wants to better himself at. From years past, some of the things that he he has mentioned is uh, he resolved to eat only the meat he killed himself in the coming year. I don't know if he butchered or cooked it, but he at least killed it. Um, He also sought to build artificial intelligence and AI assistance from scratch as an assistant in his home. And I'm told or I read that he actually succeeded at that. That's very impressive. Uh, Most recently, he desired to visit and meet people in every state of the country. Now, What's interesting is that, you know, in and of itself, I mean, these things aren't necessarily bad. They're, they're desires to, to be better and to achieve. But what's interesting is that the way an article reads that I read about Zuckerberg, it, it wrote that Mark Zuckerberg is not unlike a lot of us. He, too, plans to make himself a better person in the new year, to make himself a better person in the new year. Now, church, right there is why for many, for many gospel-loving people, New Year's resolutions have fallen on hard times. They basically equal what? They equal self-help, self-improvement. Now, again, I am in this category. I want to better myself. I want to do better in the upcoming year. But here's what I desire for us this morning. My, my desire is in this sermon to, to steer us away from the self-help plan. We live in a culture where the self-help is the way to go. We have a very secularized culture that we do it on our own. We achieve to the next thing. But may I steer us from that and instead focus on a God-help plan. A God-help plan that is grace-empowered, that is faith-filled, and God-glorifying. That is my desire. I want to steer us to that, to focus on that as we look ahead to the new year. Now, as we reflect upon this passage in Thessalonians, we we encounter Paul writing to a church that it's, it's a new church. It's a church that he is he is encouraged by, he is, he is encouraged to see the work of God's grace in the life of this community. In fact, we see it at the very beginning of verse 3 here where he says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers as it is right because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another 
is increasing. So he's acknowledging the fact that there is a work, that there is growth, that there is good to celebrate. And he does so to, to remind them and to comfort them in the face of persecution that they all are facing as a church. Now, we don't understand necessarily the exact nature of the persecution, but from what Paul is describing, it's acute, it's severe, and they are enduring through this. They're also dealing with troubling thoughts and rumors of the fact that Jesus Christ himself has already returned and that they may have missed the boat, so to speak, that what has been promised has already taken place and they have missed out. But Paul is seeking to comfort those fears and to really put forth to them that, no, Jesus Christ is, he hasn't come. There is not only that, but there's still work to do. There's still work to see God do in this world, God do through you as a church. So take comfort in that. What I love here in this specific passage is is what Paul seeks to do in really reminding the church in Thessalonica as to what is the source of their success. It is God himself and his grace and sustaining them to accomplish the very things that he is celebrating God doing. And you see, that's what I want for us today. As we think about the new year, I, I encourage you, I encourage myself right now, even as I say it, that that we look at our resolves, that we look at our resolutions for the upcoming year to be counted as kingdom-worthy resolutions. And that's the title of this sermon, Kingdom-Worthy Resolution. So what does this look like? What does a kingdom-worthy resolution look like? What are the characteristics of, of this type of resolution? Well, there's three that I want to take us through. That a kingdom-worthy resolution, a resolve to make that is kingdom-worthy is, is, number one, it's empowered by the grace of God. And it's accomplished through faith-filled action with the goal of glorifying Christ. With the goal of glorifying Christ. As we reflect upon grace-empowered, grace-motivated resolutions, let me take you to, again, Paul is, is delighted as we, as we read this passage. We, we see that he is delighted and encouraged, and encouraged to hear the great and wonderful works taking place in this church. He's encouraging the, the perseverance to, to continue, continue in the light of their persecution. And you see why I think this is important that Paul does this is that what he is doing is he is, he is having the church take inventory of what God is doing so that they can seek and be reminded of the evidences of grace that are taking place in their lives, the evidences of God at work in their life. And you see, that's when we think, when we think about grace and power, this is what we must do. We must take inventory, look at where God is working in our life, look at the evidences of grace. Basically what Paul is saying, he's saying, remember that it is God who has made you worthy for his kingdom. It is he that has made you worthy. But he's also saying that God will continue to display their worthiness by his power through the good resolves that he fulfills through this church. 
Paul's saying, look and behold the evidences of God's grace at work in your lives now. And you see, that is, that is a challenge for us. I want us to, to think about this now for us, to behold the evidences of God's grace at, the work, at, at work in our lives now. Take inventory of them. Pray for God to show you, show me that, that, that he is at work and that he points our hearts towards these evidences. Now, as, even as I say this, I, I realize that for a lot of us in here, when we think of this past year, we can, we can start to think of many things that were very hard. Suffering, sickness, death, even persecution. And maybe you're even enduring this at, the, at this moment. As we look ahead to 2018, it doesn't even feel like a new year is happening. You're just continuing on in the same thing. But can I offer you this encouragement from Paul's prayer? The prayer he prays in verses 11 and 12, it's, it's really interesting when we look at what he is asking God to do. He's not asking God to take away the persecution, to subside it. What is he asking for? He's asking for God's grace to be present. He's asking God's grace to fulfill good desires and good works in the face of of their persecution. You see, what's important for us to take from this is that when, when we reflect upon the suffering that we are enduring, the affliction that, that we have to walk through, it's so easy to focus on that itself, what we are enduring, wanting it to, wanting it to subside, to end. And it's so easy to miss the fact that God's grace is sustaining us through that very trial. That God's grace is present. That God's grace is sustaining. That's what I ask you to reflect upon. Whatever your suffering is, whatever your affliction is, I want to encourage you that God's grace is sustaining you through it now. And he will continue to do so. The challenge is to be seeking at all times these evidences of grace. But as we do so, there's something that's very, very important and I think very wonderful that takes place. As we encounter God's grace, we are motivated by his grace. How are we motivated? But we are, we are motivated by our gratitude the affections that are stirred as we reflect upon the goodness of God in his work in our lives at all times. Our affections are motivated. We are motivated to act. And what is that act? It is to do good. It is to do good in the face of the trial. It's to do good in the face of persecution. It's to display the work of the Spirit in our lives let the fruits of the Spirit be displayed as we seek to do good in the power of God's grace. You see, this is what Paul is referencing again in verse 3 when he says, Your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every, every one of you for one another is increasing. He's acknowledging the work that God is accomplishing. And he's steering the church to reflect upon these graces.
I used to work with a guy that was, uh, he was a great guy. He was, he was an older, older gentleman. And um, one of the things that he would always say when, you would, when he would be greeted or if I, even if I said it and I would see him every day, how you doing? And his answer would always be this, better than I deserve. Better than I deserve. No fail. When he was asked, how are you doing? Better than I deserve. And I asked him one day, why do you, why do you always say that? And it had that tone, didn't it? And it was like, I was annoyed. Like, why, why, are you, why do you always say that? Why do you just say, oh, I'm great, or no, sick today? No, it was better than I deserve. You see, as I got to know him and hear his story, I began to understand the fact that this guy, he had a gratitude that was, that was born from understanding the grace that he had in his life. I started to hear stories about his past of, of struggles, addictions, failures, and realizing that all of the things that he had done, he deserved far worse than the life that he was living now. He came close to death, but yet he was alive. God sustained him. He had people in his life that loved him despite many, many, many failures and many hurts that he caused people. And you see, he recognized the grace that was in his life, and it motivated him because of the gratitude that welled up. Grace motivates us by the gratitude that we experience when we encounter it. Another example is that I received this week an email from, a, from an elder that was sending out an encouragement uh, to the group and, and asking that um, he, he basically just wanted to share what God was doing in his life. And, and through his prayer time one morning, he was encountering a passage from Isaiah, Isaiah 25, 1, I think it was. And, and he was just blown away by the grace of God in his life, the kindness that God was showing him and had shown him the kindness that God showed in redeeming him. And from that, he just wrote just just repentance and desire to do better in the upcoming year, but to do so empowered by God's grace and through his repentance. You see, that's what grace does. It motivates us toward or to an action the gratitude that we have to God and the grace that he has shown us, the desire to obey him because of the, the wonderful, wonderful, unmerited favor he has given to us. God's empowering grace stirs our affections and it births grace-empowered resolve towards a faith-filled action. And this is the second characteristic of a, a kingdom-worthy resolve is that it's, it's it's described or characterized by faith-filled action. So what do I mean by faith-filled action? What is this? Basically what I would describe it as is that it's, it's an action that's motivated by grace, by God's grace, and it's standing upon the promises of God, believing these promises, but also believing that God's grace will be ever-present as we obey what God calls us to do. Now, I think we can all relate to the reality of our, our good intentions being just that. They stay good intentions without coming to fruition. All right? 
I can give you my whole laundry list of the resolutions I've made, the many times I have signed up for a gym membership, right? Do I go to the gym today? No, all right? And I remember going to the gym one time when I was a member, and I remember I hadn't, uh, I don't think I was, I hadn't been for a while, you know, and I show up, give my card, and the guy's like, hey, welcome back, man, you know, and that was his encouragement to me of how much I was a slacker, right? And so, did I come back? I did, but at the same time, am I there? No. I mean, it's, it's good intentions. I can come up with so many excuses as to why I don't go, and I should go. I will say that. But what I'm saying here is that we have good intentions, and, and they can stay just that, that we don't put the effort required in doing the things we know we are supposed to do. And you see, this is a tension when it comes to faith-filled action. When we're motivated by God's grace, there can be this tension of like, well, if I am to put effort into what I do, is that really grace, or is that, am, I, am I squandering what grace really means? And my answer to you in that is no. Dallas Willard once said that grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And what I want us to hear from this is that the resolutions we make, as we are motivated by grace, we are to make all effort to do good, to obey the commands that God has called us, not to earn anything, but just out of the sheer pleasure of obeying, out of the sheer pleasure of knowing that God has, he has poured out his favor upon us. D.A. Carson also said in quoting and talking about grace and, and our efforts, he said, when it comes to holiness, we don't just drift towards holiness. And what he's speaking to is there's effort. There's a duty that we, that we go and we, and we work the good work. The good work motivated by grace. Just like it says in Philippians chapter 2, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out your salvation. Do good. Do good because of what God has done for you. And you see, this is what Paul is telling the church in Thessalonians to do. He's, he's saying, in the face of your persecution, rest upon God's grace. Pursue it. And basically what Paul is saying is to love your enemies. Love your enemies. For just as Jesus himself said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. You see, as we do this, there is, there is something that takes hold and there's something that happens that really proves truth to what Paul says in verse 11, where he says, To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy, worthy of his calling. Make you worthy of his calling. You see, as we put into action our resolves for good, we are shown to be worthy of the kingdom of God. We are shown to be worthy of the very kingdom God has called us into. You see, Paul is saying, make your calling worthy. What is your calling? He's referring to the calling that God has, has made. He has called us out of darkness and into the light. So make that worthy. Not worthy in the sense of showing that you are worth it, that you have earned it, but that you belong. 
So let your actions show that you are in the kingdom of God. In a practical sense, it's, it's hard to do this. So how do we do this? We do this by trusting on the promises of God. Trusting in the promises of God. In verses 6 through 10 of this passage, we we see Paul offering encouragement by offering a promise to what will happen to the persecutors of this church. He assures the Thessalonians that God will take care of what is happening, God will justly deal with those who are bringing harm to this church. It is God. And he is telling the church to rest in this. Not to take delight in it, but rest in this and do good works. You see, that's, that's the reality of our faith-filled action. We are motivated by grace, but we are standing upon the promises of God, and we are oriented by the promises of God, and we therefore take action on the promises of God. And one thing to not forget. You see, Paul is saying again in verse 11 that he may, he's praying for God to fulfill every resolve and to fulfill the work. What does that tell us? That he's going to complete it. That God's grace is going to be present throughout that resolve, becoming a work and coming to fruition. God's grace is always present to give us strength. And we need to understand that as we think upon the promises of God, our faith has to be defined as this. Are we believing that promise? And also, are we going to believe God is going to come through with that promise and, and sustain us through that action? You see, that's, that's what's wrapped up in, up in this faith-filled action. Are we believing for God's grace to be present as we act upon this promise? So the lesson here is do good works. Do good works because of the grace God has shown you and is pouring out on you. Don't squander any God-given desire to do so through lack of faith. I have to remind myself of this all the time. My fears can take hold. My, my My unbelief can take hold. And what can be defined in my life is inaction. Oh, the desires are there, but they're just that. They're not actions. So what are some practical examples here? When when we're thinking of resolves and we're thinking maybe of how can we live differently in this new year? What what can we do to show our, our kingdom worthiness? Maybe one thing you're setting out to do this year is to give more to be more generous. So if you're setting your heart to do this, you must trust the power of God to fulfill this resolve will come to you. That his power will come to you as what? As you trust in God's power. As you trust in a promise that my God will supply every need according to need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. And trusting in this promise, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, 2 Corinthians 9.6.
And another promise, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. These are the promises of God that we stand upon. In taking action upon these promises, we do so by trusting that God's power will bring these promises to pass. And we will have ability to do so. You guys, you know, it's a, it's a step-by-step process. And we have to understand that. We're not going to accomplish it all. You see, sanctification is like that. It's slow. It's hard. We're going to fail. But we must be resolved to keep doing the good works because God has done such a great work in us. Do you struggle with anxiety? Would you love for this next year to be filled with less anxiety? We'll trust the power of God to fulfill this resolve will come to you as you trust for God's power in this promise. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. What I love about this verse is when it says the peace of God, it's referring to that God's very presence is with you. Trust in that. And I realize that these, you know, these are hard things. It's painful to walk in faith with some of the things that we have to do and that we have to obey and what God calls us to do. It's humbling. We sacrifice. But the thing is, guys, is, is that if, if we just leave our resolves with these two characteristics, that they're motivated by grace, that they involve faithful action. You see, that's where we can get in trouble. That's where those resolves can just kind of stay in that desire category and not turn into action. And, and, and we can do that if we're losing sight of the purpose, of the goal, of what we are to have in view as we act upon the grace of God. And that is the glory of Jesus Christ. That in everything that we do, as our hearts are motivated by grace, as we walk in faith, the promises of God, what we have in view is the glory of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul ends his prayer in verse 12, where he says, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You may ask yourself, why do I have to keep trudging through this same thing again in the next year? Why do I have to keep trudging through this affliction and this suffering? I am trusting upon the promises of God. I am doing what God calls of me. Remind yourself that it's for the glory of God, the glory that is being worked in your life and for God. So Paul provides meaning for the persecution 
and the affliction that they're enduring by putting in view the glory of Christ. You see, we, we, we can't forget what Paul is saying here, that there's, there's two aspects of this, that, that Christ is, the way he's being glorified is that, that Christ is being glorified in the people, the church itself, and that Christ himself is glorified through the fact that the church will be glorified with Christ. In church, the same holds true for us. That Christ is glorified in us as we trust in God's power on the basis of his blood-bought grace to fulfill our resolves for good and turn them into works for good, showing us to be worthy of the kingdom of God. You know, I've thought long and hard as I prepared for this, this sermon about, okay, what, what is God calling me to do in this coming year? What, what, am, what am I to set my resolves to that, that are kingdom-worthy? And the one that comes to mind very consistently is contentment. I can be a very discontent person. I think I just heard my wife say amen from the halls. Did you hear that? You know, I, I strive for the things that I want. My ambitions are based on my own motivation to get what I want. I set plans to be content by my own strength, scheming, planning. You know what it produces in me? Disappointment, anger, disillusionment. And the reality is, is what's happening is I'm just wrapped up in myself. I'm wrapped up in, in everything that I want. I heard a pastor once say, the smallest package in the world is a man all wrapped up in himself. There's some great truth in that. And how small I am when I am not looking to the grace of God. And you see, as I look to the grace of God, I'm not trying to become a better or bigger person. What I'm trying to do, or what I hope to do, is what Paul's verse calls us to do, is to see God glorified. You see, godly ambitions versus selfish ambitions have two, has, it has a different goal. A godly ambition desires to see God glorified in everything that takes place, not man. And that's what I have to seek to do, that the things I strive for, the reason I do it, the joy that I get comes from the very fact that God is glorified. A passage I have to remind myself of, Philippians 4, 11 through 13, where it says, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty, in hunger and abundance and need. I, I can do all things through him who strengthened me. And you see, it's not just puffed up verse type thing. I can be strong. No, I have to recognize that the things that I do, this verse promises it is God who strengthens me. And whatever is taking place in my life, if I know and I believe that God is strengthening me, then I am to be content. 
So ask yourself, what does your year look like ahead? The desire for you and for me is that our resolutions, our resolves are, are kingdom worthy. They're grace motivated, they're faith filled, and they're done all for the glory of God. And again, I, I know that these things are hard. I know the suffering that is, is, is present and all of these things. And, you know, I, I, think of a, I think of a trip that I took with my family a couple of weeks ago. And we were in this, in this town and came across through our, you know, this shopping. Uh, I think it was an antique store. And out, out in front of the antique store was this, this workbench. It was an old workbench. It was, it was tattered. It had dents had nicks, and it looked old. But still, like, I'm, I was drawn to it because I, I could see the intricacy of, of the design and, and how it was put together. And, 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 you know, I walk up to it, I place my hands on it, and I'm, I'm like, man, this thing is solid. This is solid. What craftsman put this together? What craftsman used this bench to create the things that he desired to create? And what I'm marveling at is not necessarily the things that he's created, but I'm looking at what was used to create what the workmen worked for. And so the work that was done, basically this, this bench displayed that. It was strong. It was a little old. But these marks it had were marks that were, it showed it was sturdy. You know what I mean? It may look old, but man, you know it's, it's sturdy, it's strong. And it's because the craftsman built it that way. And you see, for us, God is working in our lives the same way. He has created us. He has called us out of darkness. He has given us new life. And so therefore, we are called to live, to pursue good, and to trust in God. And let him be glorified through it. So is all this an endorsement for a good resolution making for the year? Uh, yes. I encourage you to do so. But let us all seek to make resolutions for good with all of our might by relying utterly and entirely on free, blood-bought grace for the glory of Christ. Amen. Let's pray.